If you look at what people have paid, there is a correlation that for a lot of those investors, they're now basically living off the income of the asset. And from what they paid, the returns are just exponential. Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show, another code cracker. Yes, we're going to dig into walking. Yes, can walking make you wealthy? It's an interesting conversation. I know it feels like it has nothing to do with real estate, but we're going to dig into, yes, walk score, what it means, how you can benefit from that principle. Welcome back, of course. If it's your first time tuning into the show, play the program and double speed, get your life back. I've got my life back. I tell you what, the Gospodar is so bored with doing his own hedges. He must have done my hedge. I got home uh, and my hedge has been pruned. I never paid for it to be pruned. I don't have a pruner. Uh, I don't know what's happened, but my house is looking fantastic. I've come to the conclusion my nutty Gospodar neighbor, who uh, is a rampant hearth and homer, loves looking after the values of the street by hedging, has looked at my house and gone, this guy is letting the team down. He must be busy. I'm going to go and do his garden. That's all I can think of as to why my garden is looking amazing unless a gardener has done the wrong job. They were sent to a certain street number. They got it wrong because someone's done my garden. Ah, I tell you what, what a win. But hey, welcome back all you property investors. I hope you are doing well. Today we're going to dig into walk score. The idea of a pedestrian orientated area, what it means. Uh, should we become walk score investors? I'm a walk score investor. I think it's a great way to create cash flow from real estate. I'll give you some tips and strategies around walk score to see if it's a strategy you might like to use. And of course, uh, that's today's show. So what is walk score? Walk score's really simple formula. Some suburbs and some streets and, of course, some property addresses have the unique characteristic of whereby the occupants of that dwelling can live a life on foot. And, of course, uh, when a occupant can live a life on foot, there are some advantages and uh, those advantages get uh, repositioned into a correlation of property performance. So we're going to dig into what that actually means. And of course, when it comes to the concept of cash flow and growth, they are two big drivers of economic success from real estate. Of course, a lot of the conversation is often around the idea of creating growth in the real estate economy. And of course, capital growth is really a speculation concept. No one really knows where capital growth is going to go next, when it's going to come, or even if it's going to come. So when I buy capital growth assets... 
I always ensure there is a good cash flow profile of the real estate itself. And one way to link great cash flow to what can be and become a great capital growth property is walk score. Walk score or walking is simply a concept linked to human behaviors. And it's fair to say real estate is a humanistic experience where people want to live, how people want to commute, what people do for a living. It's all connected to us human beings. And when you think about what people go through daily, quite often what people have to put up with every single day is quite grueling. If you think about the cost of living, Australia's got something like the, it's in the top 10 places in the world with the highest cost of living. So we have to put up with that daily. If you think about uh, just how expensive Sydney is, for example, Sydney is the second most expensive real estate market out of every city, and there are thousands of cities in the whole entire world. And of course, uh, we as a nation are not necessarily the fittest. No, we feel fit. We see beautiful pictures of people at the beach, but actually we're the fifth fattest country in the world. I think most people can attest to the fact that our internet sucks. Uh, You know, I think, um, you know, it's in the Australian vernacular to go bleep, Telstra. Uh, But we have something like the 50th best internet in the world. You could be in Bali, Denpasar, Indonesia, uh, and those copper wires outside of your hotel room run faster than the Australian internet. So there's this kind of dislocation of our expectations. And of course, a lot of this has to do with how people ultimately end up uh, living. And living is the idea of eventually seeing something happen in real estate. How people live is how real estate grows. If you think about transport, Brisbane's actually our most mobile city. It's ranked 48th in the world. You can move quite quickly through Brisbane, less so in Melbourne, less so in Sydney, big, big places. And of course, uh, if you want to understand, for example, the average commute time in Sydney, it's well over an hour. Every day people move uh, for uh, over an hour, sometimes up to two hours commuting. And of course, when you think about some people now living not even in Sydney, but working in Sydney a couple of days a week. They're commuting several hours every day. And as such, the average Aussie is moving around 32 kilometres per day. 32 kilometres per day. And of course, uh, when we look at some of the reports of the future of public transport, it's going to get clogged. Uh, Public transport... Uh, usage will increase by almost 100% over the next decade. So imagine uh, all the people you share the bus with, the train with, the roads with, um, when it comes to movement, we're basically doubling down on what that looks like. So you can imagine they're not necessarily making trains bigger or longer, they're simply crowding more people onto 
the platform. And of course, uh, what this means is that a lot of people are looking for what is known as a walkable property. Now, again, uh, walkable properties are just a concept around how humans get about. And the value proposition of walkable properties is quite often seen in the logic around their rental return, what they can achieve when it comes to their rental value proposition. Now, I teach a concept known as the pyramid of mobility. Think of a pyramid, uh, essentially a triangle. And if you think about the travel options are with the top of the triangle being walking and the bottom of the triangle, someone actually living in an area where they're perhaps hours away from a main CBD. They could be living in a regional area. At the bottom of that basically pyramid, there is the regional train or using your own car. Now, if you're going to use your own car and drive 200 and 300 kilometers a day, you're going to burn through a car pretty quickly. You'll uh, basically depreciate that asset in no time whatsoever. And of course, uh, this is a real cost when it comes to living. So at the top of the pyramid, you've got things like walking. At the bottom of the pyramid, you've got ultimately things like living regional and commuting to an urban area two or three days a week. Obviously, in the middle of this pyramid or triangle, you've got car-only neighbourhoods, areas which are driven around basically by car. You can't uh, really uh, use the suburb without a car. You've got heavy transport areas, which are linked by things like rail, which uh, again, depending on the train station, how long does it take to get to that particular stop? It could be heavy transport, which is 20 minutes from the city or an hour and a half from the city. Then you've got your light transport options, things like bus, uh, tram, ferry, Uh, Some of these lighter ways to get around are ultimately what people look at and value and put a value against. And of course, um, some of the yuppie markets, if you like, use the ferry. I'm from Manly and uh, it's very common for uh, doctors, uh, lawyers, uh, executives, all working in the CBD to jump on the ferry knowledge workers, and hit the city. The ferry is kind of a nice way to get to work. And again, the association of the ferry factor to the property values in a city, which is linked through waterways, is often a correlation of a very expensive property marketplace. Over and above light transport, Port, you've got what is known as the Uber effect, basically an area where five, seven dollars you can get around in an Uber really quickly. You don't uh, need to use transport because the Uber ride effectively is your transport. And then at the top of the pyramid, 
You've got things like scootering today, Lime scooters around Brisbane and other cities. You've got uh, cycling. You can hire a bicycle in many, many uh, cities today. You can use your own bicycle on bicycle ways. And of course, at the top of the pyramid is walking. Yes, walking. Now, again, like when you think about what uh, the mobility of someone's day-to-day is, it really does affect the way they actually go about living. And you think about all of that dislocation that people are going through, uh, that the average person spending uh, well over an hour, for example, in Sydney, just getting around. Well, that means they are spending less time perhaps going to the gym, less time with their friends and family, less time just taking care of themselves. And of course, um, you know, that's just the way it works. The more it takes you to move, there is a correlation generally on what the cost of a property is. And quite often we think about the areas at the edge of a city as the concept drive until you qualify. Basically drive until you can find something that you can afford. And uh, there is really the notion that the marketplace, if you uh, break it down, is broken down into suburbs which are considered highly walkable, suburbs which are fairly well inner ring or early middle ring suburbs where you can Uber ride, use light transport. And then you've got suburbs which are ultimately dormitory where really you need to use heavy transport, long journey on the train, use your motor vehicle or um, or some other form of heavy transport to, to get to those areas. And today... People want to live inside of really a mobile pyramid. And what I mean by that, there is a value proposition put on people who have the ability to, within 20 minutes, get to a central business district, a central lifestyle district, and their own thriving local community. And so if you think about a central business district, it's obviously a CBD, a central life cycle district, maybe something which is driven around, uh, you know, uh, lifestyle. Uh, it could be something like St Kilda Beach uh, in Melbourne. It's a sort of lifestyle district, if you like. And a thriving local is really where your local community is. And of course, <clears throat> a lot of community is simply what we call a dormitory community goes to sleep at night, it wakes up, people leave that community and they go somewhere for the day, then they return um, and fundamentally go to their dorm and go to bed. And really the only thing to do in a dormitory area is fundamentally Netflix and chill. So when it comes to the most undersupplied properties in society – They are not apartments, they are not houses, they are not villas. The most undersupplied properties are what is known as walkable properties. Properties where you can walk to a CBD, a CLD and a local thriving 
make up less than 1% of all properties available out of the uh, literally millions of properties in society. 5% are fairly mobile. You do can use a car, you can use a scooter, you can use a tram. 94% of properties are what is known as dormitory. Now, both dormitory properties and walkable properties can create capital growth. Dormitory properties, or the 94% of them, uh, some will have less potential from a rental point of view than, for example, highly walkable properties. Walkable properties translate to high cash flow properties. And again, um, the concept of being a property investor is also the game of cash flow. Because if there's less money coming out of your back pocket, it means you can support more assets. More assets you support ultimately means more, uh, I guess, market influence against those assets. So if you've got properties and the rents are really covered by the renter and you're not digging out of your back pocket, well, it usually means you can service more debt to go and find more investments and have yourself a much larger portfolio. So when I break down buying real estate, quite often it's your wage, the tax man and the tenant that is the proportionate uh, piece of the pie to consider. And if I can find a really good rental return, then I'm highly likely to analyze that property and go, well, you know what? The rent's taking care of the debt and I can see the upside of capital growth. I'm going to speculate on the capital growth, but I'm going to do that at the cost of the tenant. It's a very good winning formula of real estate. So when it comes to the concept of the idea of cash flow, it is a bit of a map. And when you think about how to change the trajectory of your cash flow, it is a principle of what I refer to as the property trifecta. Now, I teach the property trifecta. It's really simple. You want to buy some capital growth assets. That's the first part of the puzzle. Second part of the puzzle is you want to change the trajectory of the cash flow. How do we do that? How can we get more rent for this capital growth property. We don't want to just speculate on capital growth. We want to make sure that if we're going to ultimately uh, hope growth comes our way, we want to use other people's money being the cash flow, change the trajectory of the cash flow. Final part of the property trifecta is doing flips and bigger deals and uh, so forth. We won't get into that today. But if we're going to examine changing the trajectory of the cash flow of an asset, we can do that a couple of ways. We can, for example, do things like Airbnb. We can short stay a property. We can uh, change the trajectory of a cash flow by furnishing a property. We can buy commercial properties. We can, um, you know, uh, enter the commercial real estate market and do a triple lease. 
We can buy a multi-income piece of real estate, house, a granny flat, uh, three properties on one title, a duplex. Uh, A lot of those strategies, particularly commercial and multi-income today are very expensive. So you need a few, uh, well, you need a million dollars plus to buy those assets. One way around that is what I call walk score assets or pods. Pods, yes, it's time for the pod. Unlock your cash flow using a pod. What is a pod? A pedestrian orientated development. So an area of development which is designed around the orientation of pedestrians. Fundamentally, a walkable suburb is really the best way to explain it. So walk score is a thing. If you can walk somewhere in five minutes and have a pretty good life, people are prepared to pay a pretty penny for that. So it is also a capital growth concept, but also because a lot of people love the idea of living in a festive place. If an area is highly walkable, it usually equals it's highly festival. Uh, And that means people are going to pay a lot of money in rent for those areas. And, uh, it's a, it's a bit of a global uh, big city phenomenon to essentially get high cash flow from walkable neighborhoods. And again, like if you think about real estate and you think about, for example, Manhattan, Manhattan has Wall Street, the uh, Fortune 500 companies of America, The rents, and I'm sure you've all watched an American real estate TV show, the rents in New York City are mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. Why? New York City is a very walkable place. And of course, the closer you are to Wall Street, the more cash flow you can create from rent from those assets. And of course, maturity of those rents takes time, but... Uh, the ability for the market to afford rents in those particular places is kind of never-ending. It's like a never-ending ceiling. And why? The Fortune 500 companies of Wall Street. So really, uh, when it comes to the idea of big rents from uh, inner-city properties that are walkable to the CBD, the Manhattan effect... Well, here in Australia, you could just go to Sydney and check out what people pay for a property close to the CBD and rent. It's mind-boggling. Melbourne is maturing. Brisbane is maturing as a mind-boggling rental area for that type of asset. Really, probably Perth, Adelaide, you know, your Hobart's, Um, A little bit less mature because they're much sort of smaller at this point of their cycle. But certainly, uh, if you could not afford Sydney, you could look at Brisbane and and Melbourne. Really, just the concept that the rents can be spectacular. Now, I've done this myself, uh, that I have positioned an asset and uh, close to Melbourne CBD. Why did I do that? Uh, because of its walk score. What do I get as a yield? I get around a 6% return on the property. Why? 
uh, because of its ability to connect to a major CBD and a lifestyle area. It's a cash flow property. And again, I think over time, I've only owned that property a couple of years, but I think over time, that rent is also going to improve because of the untapped level of earnings of the professionals in that particular area. Now, again, we also have to realize that uh, over the next basically 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, uh, a place like Sydney is going to go to 10 million people. Melbourne's going to reach 10 million people. It might take 25 years to do that, but Melbourne today, Sydney today are 5 million person cities. So how valuable into the future is a suburb and a property within that suburb where you can walk? You can walk to the city. You can walk to the central lifestyle area. You can walk to your local shops. How valuable does it become? When everyone else is congested or can't fit on the bus or can't get onto the train, how valuable is not having to share that experience? I'm betting on that that becomes really valuable. And again, in Sydney, which is more mature as a marketplace than, say, other property markets in Australia, it's considered very, very valuable. There is a lot of cash flow. People are paying $4,000 a week for a three-bedroom close to the city in Sydney, $4,000 a week. So again, if you were to buy that Sydney property that's yielding $4,000 a week, it's a couple of million bucks. So what do we do? Well, we go, Sydney's too mature to pay that. Let's go to an immature market or a less mature market to look for that. And I think the fastest way is to go to a maturing market, a Brisbane or a Melbourne in Sydney, uh, sorry, in Australia, uh, and, uh, and look at that as your speculation move. But by doing that, you're also getting the current cash flow. The current cash flow can be very, very high, which is amazing. And of course, we've seen this in America. We know that, you know, if you were to rent a little weird pokey one bedroom in uh, Greenwich Village, you know, it's over it's over $1,500 a week in rent. If you were to go to Covent Garden, London, close to the financial district, in sterling, in pounds, you know, it's you're paying big bucks, you know, 1,500 pounds a week. If you go to uh, Shibuya in Japan, you know, next to um, central Tokyo, it's big dollars, right? It's just the way it works. And of course, again, if you go to the right part of central Sydney, people are paying thousands and thousands of dollars a week in rent. And of course, if you look at what people have paid, there is a correlation that for a lot of those investors, they're now basically living off the income of the asset. And from what they paid, the returns are just exponential. Now, one of the first areas I was involved in with investment in Sydney was Kirribilli. 
And Kira Burley looks at the CBD. It's exactly what I'm talking about. It's a very walkable neighborhood. You could walk to the city. You've got the local shops, which are just great. Uh, there's a lot of lifestyle there. Um, Kirribilli, if you're not familiar with it, it sits on the non-city side of the Harbour Bridge, basically underneath it. And uh, today, yields in that marketplace against debt of what people bought there 10 years ago are 15%. Uh, for a lot of property investors, they've bought properties 15 years ago whereby the yields are not 15% today. They are, you know, gone from when they bought at 5% yield to a 7% yield, which is great, but it hasn't gone to a maximum cash flow space. And really, this is the concept of a walkable neighborhood, the Kirribilli effect. Now, when you think about how a city works, there's three rings to a city, the inner ring, the middle ring, and the outer ring. The outer ring and the middle ring are quite often a very good growth marketplaces. The inner ring can be both a good marketplace, but also a highly, highly, highly valuable cash flow marketplace. Not in all real estate. It's got to be obviously a good uh, property, which is, again, segmented from its build characteristics, its location characteristics, and ultimately its land characteristics. Remember, a lot of real estate is cut off from the town plan inside of a city. Town plans include things like transport. 70% of suburbia and the suburban world, you need to get in a car to drive to a train station to then go on the train to uh, a job. That's basically how it works. Or you have to get in your car and again, uh, basically ruin a car over a certain period of time, which costs money to, uh, to basically get to a job. So the other way around that, of course, is just looking at a different way to live. And this is where today lifestyle orientated areas are winning the day. Whether they're tree change places, whether they're sea change places, whether they're green space change places, or whether they're urban places, these are highly driven by lifestyle concepts. And really, again, very, very uh, high income earners with punishing workloads love walkable areas. If you think about lawyers and barristers and accountants and futures traders and bankers and EAs and, and uh, so forth, these people need to be close to the financial heartbeat of the entire nation. You know, our nation is led by fire economics. If you're a big wig in insurance or a big wig in banking or you're a executive on the up and coming into a law firm, you're typically working long hours. You don't really have time to do a hour and a half commute. So you're looking for uh, the inner ring most likely. And if you can get a walkable suburb, you're going to, again, pay a lot of money to either live there and own 
or to rent there. And this is what we see, high cash flow properties. So again, like the idea of walk score is broken into a few segments. The first one really walk score, which is just a scoring mechanism for the ability for a property to attract someone of high worth and uh, and ultimately basically provide them a walkable property is just the score. And you can go to walkscore.com and check out whether you like this concept. Walk score is just uh, really a measurement between zero and 100 of an area's capacity to offer the walkable lifestyle. So your daily errands can be done simply through walking. You can go to the grocery store, schools, parks, restaurants, uh, all done by walking. And again, the property I've bought has like a 98 score out of 100 walk score. You can do everything, um, which is really the idea of the neighborhood is very pedestrian friendly. You can still own a car. It's not about not having a car, but the idea of you actually getting uh, a lifestyle where you can just cruise and go and uh, be part of society without having to start the motor vehicle is really the concept of the score. And again, there are some massive correlations as to why this creates growth and better cash flow. So the first thing we need to understand is if an area or a suburb has a high walk score, there's a highly likelihood that the walking creates really better commercial. And better commercial, better local shops, better brands coming to a suburb creates this gentrification effect, which creates property growth. And again, uh, if you're in a car and you're driving past a shop and you don't stop, the local shops can't trade. However, from walkable suburbs, you'll notice that their trade just gets better and better and better, better brands come to those neighborhoods. And I often refer to this as the Messina ice cream effect, that eventually, because of walkers, there's so much foot traffic for commercial that uh, perhaps when you buy, economically speaking, you know, the local shops was just the fish and chip shops, but because there's so many walkers, eventually it reaches the biggest brands in the country and Messina Ice Cream moves in, puts their famous brand there. Obviously, walking is an attraction for urban living. So again, if you think about properties in urban centres with a high walk score, they benefit from the vibrancy of really that. And again, uh, this creates even more appeal for other people Uh, sort of that monkey see, monkey do effect of more people wanting to live in the neighbourhood. More people, less properties, more capital growth. And again, like walkable suburbs are not just walkable for young people. They can be uh, suburbs which include families and empty nesters. These These are the type of people. So you get a wide range of wealth in these kind of walkable neighborhoods. And of course, the idea of the walk score is just better livability. 
the idea that uh, people have a higher, more enriched quality of life because they spend less time traveling and more time doing. And I think this, again, is just one of the key ingredients of this cash flow strategy, how to get more rent from real estate. Obviously, um, you know, when there's a community and you're walking, you're probably going to know a few people as well. You'll know the local shopkeepers, you'll know the butcher, you will know uh, the hairdresser, you will know basically your town's uh, providers and uh, innkeepers, so to speak. And of course, this creates a very harmonious, almost village kind of concept. And again, people pay more for that. And that's where we see this enhanced desirability of properties. Of course, today, there's the concept of virtuism that people uh, today want to be, you know, sustainable. And of course, you do get people wanting to live that life on foot because of their virtues. But I think really, probably one of the reasons why you just get so much more rent is the reduced transport costs that your tenants don't pay. Uh, when you're riding off a car every two years because you do hundreds of kilometers or you're uh, spending a lot of money on public transport, you can, and you don't have to do that, there's more disposable income in your tenants' hands. You simply can extract it from them through housing, which is really the benefit of the strategy which I'm referring to today. Obviously, walkable suburbs are very convenient. And there is, at a global level, a, I guess, footprint occurring where some cities are just getting rid of cars in their central lifestyle districts uh, and their central business districts. Madrid in Spain, for example, has basically uh, no cars in its city centre. And we've seen this really in Sydney. If you come to Sydney, you're not from it, go down George Street. We got rid of cars there the last two years. Fantastic. It's so good. Like the life it's that it has created by not having cars is just so amazing. Yes, we have a tram that flows down George Street now, but it is a kick-ass street um, and it's going to go on to be an even better street because really the idea of the cars were pushing pedestrians um, out of the way. They, people didn't want to walk down the street. Now you can have uh, you know beers outside, sit on our fresco chairs and just enjoy the urban street the Madrid effect. And again, I've invested this way because I believe the Madrid effect uh, is going to unfold in uh, in many of our cities. Eventually, our cities will become really urban playgrounds. And I think that if you own a property close to them, it's just going to be an absolute cash cow. And uh, again, you're already starting to see signs of Melbourne's Lord Mayor talking about cutting off a lot of the main uh, a lot of the streets in the city of Melbourne and again this is just going to create so much more atmosphere for retailers because again uh, the more you walk past a shop and stop and feel comfortable strolling around the better off you're going to be that's why malls do so well because there's no cars inside a mall that's why Pitt Street Mall does so well because you can't drive a car down the middle of it 
Again, if we can create these communities, and these are on the cards by 2030, the value proposition of owning real estate in these carless places is just huge. That's why I've bet on it. Uh, go to Ginza in Tokyo and see the Ginza effect. Just amazing, amazing best brands in retail connected to real estate, connected to walkers, and you just get this really uh, concept of good jobs, big neighborhood income, a central walkable CBD and a central walkable lifestyle area. So for me, the strategy of WalkScore is all about cash flow. I wanted to share that today because quite often we talk about capital growth ideas on real estate, which are very important, but so is choosing capital growth properties where there is good cash flow. Think about WalkScore. That's it for me today. I'll catch you on the next episode as we talk more real estate. Thanks for tuning in to the Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. And I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of the Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.